We've come to our, the teaching portion of our sermon uh, service, that is. Uh, we're we're going to learn from God's Word together. Uh, this is going to be the last sermon on the book of Philippians. We are covering this whole last section from chapter 4, verses 10, all through verse 23, uh, which will Paul will conclude all the things we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Starting next week and for the rest of the summer, then we are going to go through several psalms. Um, they're particularly psalms for days of trouble, which seems appropriate for our time. And there, there are several songs with, psalms with unique circumstances that uh, we're going to look at going through uh, the month of August uh, before we move on to something else. But here, uh, this is really beautiful words from Paul that he will conclude uh, this letter with and some famous words at that. So let me go straight to our passage and I'll read it and then we'll talk about a couple things. Uh, this is God's Word, Philippians four ten through 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for not that I'm speaking uh, of being in need, that is, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, speak true through your word this morning and convict our hearts. Draw us to yourself uh, that we might be content and we might rest in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off this morning with a rather obvious statement that this year, 2020, has made very obvious for us, and that is that life is unpredictable. It has ups, it has downs, and we don't really know what is coming around the bend. Uh, there are so many memes on social media, if you go through right now, about how crazy 2020 has been. Uh, there's a couple videos that I've seen about somebody talking to themselves, the past self, talking to future self, uh, and how crazy it is what's coming, um, and past self just can't believe um, what is going to take place in the year of 2020. And this is just, this time that we're right now illustrates something for us that's always true, but uh, has come directly into our minds now, and that change can come in a second. Um, again, uh, good times come and they go, bad times come and they go, and it's very hard to predict uh, what we are going to get. And what is it like living in such an environment? I think that the feeling of that unpredictability 
is anxiety. Uh, We all have this kind of low-level anxiety that helps us get through life and motivates us. Um, But it's an uncomfortable feeling that many of us have and we walk around with every day. uh, It prevents us from sleeping at night. Um, I get the statistics from our our own Cheryl Verhoff that 25 to 30% of Americans uh, are clinically uh, diagnosed with anxiety that has to be treated, and that was pre-COVID. So it's possible that those numbers could be high right now. Uh, Anxiety is a very common uh, experience that we all face. And what we're left with is the question, in that reality, how can we achieve contentment? And I don't mean contentment just in, in kind of that pietistic virtue of we, we don't crave as much, uh, we, we are content with less. I mean in that feeling of peace and prosperity, of grounded in life, at harmony with what's around us, um, and not even just material wealth and prosperity, and that's a means to an end, but it's just that feeling of being all right. How do we achieve that feeling when we know how unpredictable life is? And that's one thing that Paul is really talking about here in this passage that he is bringing right to the surface. Uh, He is acknowledging these circumstances, uh, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Um, And he is talking about this secret of learning uh, how to be content in every situation. So we we get to talk about this directly. And there's two things what we're going to look at. Um, One, we need to ask, what is the power to contentment? Um, you know, what is the power that we can have which we, with which we could achieve such a peace or contentment? And then we need to look at the lifestyle of contentment, what that means for life. And what we're going to see here is uh, Paul's going to talk about the idea of partnership. So two Ps, uh, the power first and then partnership second uh, as this way of achieving and living in contentment. So let's start with power. Uh, in, in Paul's day... Uh, Those trying to answer this question had many means of achieving contentment. Uh, There's one of which is a philosophical school of thought called Stoicism. Um, And this, many commentators think this is actually a background of of the words that Paul's using, because this word for contentment is a word that this group would use a lot. That doesn't mean that the word always refers to that, uh, but he is speaking into a cultural moment and choosing words deliberately that would connect And if you're a Stoic, this is the way you deal with the unpredictability of life. Primarily, you look inside yourself. Uh, You discipline your body and your mind. You tap into that inner strength, those inner resources. You detach uh, from being overly attached um, to things outside of you. And you learn how to be content with yourself. It's a very looking inward for strength uh, in order to maintain this sense of of contentment and peace. And if we think about that, there are lots of parallels that we have in our day, um, which we'll talk about, but we're also going to expand further because Paul is speaking to, uh, he is speaking the gospel into a particular context, um, and he is speaking it in ways that would connect with his time, and so we're going to do the same, and we're going to look at our time as well. So here's just a few options of, of ways that we, we can look at, uh, or we can we can attempt to use to achieve a feeling of peace. The first is what I'm calling the grit version. Um, and don't get sidetracked on the names that I'm giving these. These are just um, names that I've given them. But they come out like this. You've heard somebody say, you're going through a hard time, unpredictability. What you need is to man up. Or you hear something like, big girls don't cry. 
And that is, this is a similar kind of looking within um, of this inner strength that we can grab onto and we can take control of those feelings, particularly that feeling of anxiety. And if we can control it and particularly suppress it, uh, then we will be more immune from the ups and downs that we might face in life. That's one way. Uh, There's what I'm calling the therapeutic version. And this is more uh, different from that, which is seeking to control the emotions that will actually try to befriend and gently steer our emotions through the ups and downs of life. If we can acknowledge those feelings of anxiety, if we can work with them so that they're not enemies, then we can gently, we can take a wide turn um, like with a boat um, and steer along a constant path, uh, less swept to and fro. Uh, There's vice. Vice is a common that we can create false emotions or feelings of contentment, uh, either through substances uh, like alcohol or or even through habits, you know, workaholism or something like that, um, that we can create uh, these these senses, these feelings of peace, and that will uh, combat the feelings of anxiety. And there's others that attempt to use the anxiety to an advantage. Uh, There's the escapist version, uh, and there's two sides of this. One, I think, is, comes in the form of ambition, and that if we can achieve an, enough for ourselves, if we can uh, accumulate enough accolades or what have you, then it gives this false sense of peace that's almost like we are living outside of uh, the rat race. We're kind of on our own in this you know, elitist uh, camp uh, that is more immune from these ups and downs. Or there's retreat. We can take a minimalist view of life we can retreat away from relationships, have less things and in those ways. And I think these are both ways of escaping uh, just this normal flow of life and this normal anxiety. There's the insulation version, which again has two sides. We could live in the future. We can be proactive. We can the preppers mentality to insulate ourselves from what's going to come in the future, always living in future possibilities. Or the other side of that is living in the now. And not worrying about the future at all, we're only going to get the most joy we can in the presence. And these, these are both ways of insulating ourselves uh, from these potential ups and downs that could come. And there's even a Christian version. This is the kind which will just tap on to really the grit version, but use the word faith. If we can reach into ourselves, we can hold on to our faith um, with all the strength that we have, then we can persevere and overcome anything. Uh, and this is, I found it kind of comical, you know, my good friends, Adam and Lisa Venable, uh, when they, they bought their house and moved in, they have a workout room uh, in their basement, which they did not paint, but it has all kinds of motivational slogans in it uh, with workout equipment that you can use to, uh, you know, people like Bear Bryant and other famous kind of people. But it has this verse in there as well, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that is if you can just grab onto in faith um, um, something, then it'll give the motivation to persevere and to to overcome. So that's the Christian version. And the thing I want to say about these is that all every single one of them has an element of good in it. There are certainly times we have to put our circumstances, we have to put our emotions aside in order to persevere and to power through what we're going through. It is certainly a good thing to actually pay attention to our emotions and work with them, the information they are giving, rather than treat them as enemies. Um, Even, you know, having hobbies and things that are going to give us those moments of delight can be good things. 
But if we unpack them individually, they all, none of them are enough. If your way of getting through life and having contentment is just to grit it out, we eventually have to become hard to everything, even the good. And it doesn't solve the problem that whenever, if the bad times get bad enough, then what we do is crack and break. Uh, with the therapeutic version, if we're just managing our emotions, um, then, and that is all that we do, then it's like managing symptoms without actually going to the root problem, what causes that anxiety in the first place. Vice will overwhelm us uh, eventually. It'll take everything we have. Escapism inevitably leads to isolation or a continual anxiety, always having to keep up um, that, um, that escape. Insulation, we're just choosing our own boss. If we're living in the future, we're choosing for anxiety to be our boss. If we're living in the present, then we are choosing the consequences to be our boss. And we're picking the one we prefer, one over the other. And even the Christian version, because life is so up and down, that even the walk of faith is full of plenty and hunger, abundance and need, that we will inevitably end up making compromises on what we believe on God's behalf to try to maintain um, these ideas that we think uh, must be true and they must be true in this way, or we would become prideful. And there are so many different options, and it's been that way throughout time, it's clear that these, none of these actually solve the root problem. Uh, there are ways of managing those feelings of anxiety, and they can't ultimately deal with them in the end. So what's the other option? Paul is, is providing us here with another option, that where all of the, these others have the common element they have to do with us, they have to do with coming inside, looking inside of us, or tapping into our own resources or strategies. What Paul is proposing is something exactly the opposite. It is a resource that is coming with outside, not something that comes with inside, and that is the sufficiency and the power and the strength of Christ that Christ came into our situation from the outside. He took it on himself uh, so that he could be with us where we are and he could exercise his power within the situation we're in, however anxious it may feel. But what does Christ's power look like? There's a couple things we have to keep in mind that where does this anxiety come from? That anxiety ultimately comes from being separated from God. And there's two ways. One is the consequences of sin, and that when we live in a broken world, then we know things don't work the way that they're supposed to. There are consequences that come from human wrongdoing, even our own wrongdoing, that affect us, and we know they're there. We know those consequences are always in pursuit of us. But what Jesus did is he took all, rather than leaving us to sit in our own problem, our own consequences, he took those on himself, and he took them to the grave so that he could defeat them ultimately and rise again. So that rather than our own consequences, he could give us his life and the promise that the consequences don't have the final word, his resurrection has the final word. That's the one. But the other, the other problem with our anxiety is that we are alone. We are, we're dealing with these problems all on our own. When we are separated from God, then we're like a boat on the, a broad ocean in a stormy sea trying with all our might to row to land when there's not enough strength and there's no land in sight. But what God has done in Christ is he has united us with himself. He has brought together where we were separate. He has put us together so we are no longer alone. 
And this means that God has intimately involved himself in whatever situation we are in. He has taken care of the consequences and he has also come near. So that he is using his power through all of these things. As Paul has been talking about his own imprisonment. And now he's talking about both plenty and hunger. He uses those to bring life rather than death. And so this secret of what he is putting in front of us is that because of this power that comes from outside, it's Christ's strength given to us. It's his exercising his own love and control of our own lives that true freedom is not us being in control. True freedom from anxiety actually comes with being out of control and with him being in control instead. What Christ wants from us and that what Paul has learned this secret is that he wants to free us from the burden of being in control of the ups and downs in every situation. This is like a kid. You know, how many of us, when we were kids, we just wanted to be adults? And then when we became adults, we realized we actually have less freedom and more burdens uh, than we ever did when we were a kid and maybe feel like we've lost that feeling of peace. But Christ, in coming to us, has given us a new peace, not in us, but in his power that he is working on behalf of us. That's the power. But this other point here, if we stop there, if we look at this passage, this is actually the secondary point that Paul is making. He makes this comment that through all things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me almost as a side point. But what's the main point he's been talking about? This is a whole section that is about giving. This is about him being thankful for the material gifts he's gotten from the Philippians and him praising them for that and this mutual relationship of giving and receiving, which is just describing their friendship. And so what is, this is going to show us this other point, that living out of this, it is not just for us to take that freedom um, of trust in Christ by faith, but it actually is going to create this new partnership that is between God and others and ourselves. We see all of this through here. Uh, it's really an interesting passage. It almost sounds like Paul's being ungrateful. He's saying, thank you for your gift. I really didn't need it, but that's good for you uh, that you gave me this gift. And he's, uh, we have to keep in mind that he's following conventions of his day, and I'm not going to unpack all these, but uh, he is expressing gratefulness appropriately. But he's also making sure to emphasize this point that the real gift of this here is not this dependence on each other, that Paul would be lost without it, or that the Philippians would be lost without Paul, but that God is able to supply every need. And so what does this partnership look like? It looks like a cheerful giving when we didn't have to. It is a joyful thing. It is like the Philippians and Paul, even though it wasn't necessary for God's word to come out, for God's um, success and what he's doing to come out, that is actually a joy that they could give and they could serve Paul in a mutual partnership. It's, what, it's a relationship, a partnership, not of obligation, but um, of cheerful giving and thankfulness. And what else? It's also not just hospitality. It's not just that they housed Paul and took care of him when he came through town and happened to come on their turf. They heard that Paul was arrested and they sought him out. They couldn't do this. Uh, for a while, they tried to, we see here, weren't able to. Paul acknowledges that. But they sent Epaphroditus, who almost died on the way, 
they sought Paul out, they got uncomfortable, moved out of their comfort zone, and they supported him in a mutual partnership in the spread of the gospel, this good news about Jesus. And so what does this partnership look like? That the life that is changed, uh, the life where, where uh, this contentment that Christ gives us, it doesn't stop with us, but it actually moves beyond us in sharing in other sufferings. Paul says this in verse 14 in particular. He says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Because what we have is that Christ entered into our sufferings. Christ gave us his strength and his power when we were weak. That's where we found him, not when we were strong. And so where we also experience the presence of Christ is in the weakness of others. It is in this seeking out and helpfulness and partnership that we actually experience Christ. It is the weakness and the brokenness of the world uh, where Christ is known, uh, where he's, his love is poured out um, and his partnership is expressed. And all of this illustrates that God's strength does not end with us, that it is not just about us, but is about this partnership and of his gospel moving forward. I want to illustrate this in this point. Um, I want you to imagine that you have won the lottery, you know, how much the lottery is, $400 million or something like that. If you won the lottery and we just basked in this feeling of peace that you no longer have to worry worry about money for the rest of your life, Uh, you are completely prosperous and you revel in that and just continue to go to work as you always have. Nothing changes. You don't buy anything. You just go about your life. You sit on the couch and watch TV. Somebody ought to slap you upside the back of the head and like say, look, you have won the lottery. Like you're, you're reveling in this feeling of peace and contentment, but you're not actually using what you've been given. Like you should go buy something. Except here in the gospel reversal that what we've been given by Christ, it is not buying stuff, but it is the giving stuff. And Paul is saying that it is actually the privilege of being united to him, being a recipient of his strength, that we, not out of obligation, are able to then give. This is where true freedom is. Uh, This is where true joy is in giving and living out of this partnership with Jesus, seeking him wherever he may be found and participating with him in this love that he is expressing. I want to make here in the end just a few particular applications of, of what this means, uh, areas we can apply it. The first, I want to apply it to racial reconciliation, uh, which we are all um, you know, in conversation thinking a lot about now, particularly in light of the death of George Floyd and others. You know, if we treat this in a way, if we just think about the hospitality aspect And if that is our version of pursuing racial reconciliation, we're just tolerating. Um, That's not the full picture of the partnership that Paul is expressing here. The kind of partnership that he is expressing and that Paul is delighting here in the Philippians, it seeks out and it looks to go places uh, that are uncomfortable um, and where this kind of good news and healing and generosity needs to go. And I think that's something that directly applies to us because the way that our, our, our social society is separated according to race, which it is, it is very difficult for lives of people, of people of different races, people who are different, to actually have meaningful relationships to others. 
But what we are called to do is to actually move out of our comfort zone and to actually put ourselves in circumstances where these kinds of relationships can flourish. And this can be, and we can do this in education, in reading, of actually looking um, at black history in particular, and looking at what the experience of um, the black community has been, and educating ourselves, of learning what it is like, what is it actually like to be black in America, to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. But then to seek out situations that are not just where we are and what's comfortable, but to put ourselves in situations where true relationships can be forged. That is what it looks like to take this kind of initiative, to join in partnership and to go where Christ is moving. Uh, this applies to world missions, I think. If we look here, then this, what the Philippian church is doing is they are supporting a foreign missionary, somebody who is traveling around preaching the gospel to other places. They've got tons of problems on their own that they could force, that they could uh, focus all of their time on. But yet, they have entered into this kind of relationship with Paul that they are aware. They're invested in his work too. They're aware of what he is doing. They are aware of what he is facing. And they're even with their creativity, they're seeking how to help, how to provide for that kind of need. And the same could be, could be true of us. Where is God on the move? Um, where, what do we need to know and how can we help? And I want to put, do an application even closer to home, just of general neighborliness. I think we can ask, you know, do we really know our neighbors? Uh, do we really know who they are, what their lives are like? It, it takes a moving out. It takes a creating situations in creative ways where we can meet and form other relationships to know. To know where the hurt is, uh, to know where the suffering is, to know where the anxiety is in others. And it is our great privilege of the great gift that we have been given that we are able to enjoy participate with our Father, and walk with Him into those situations. There are many other applications we make, and I encourage us all to think through them. But I want to conclude this by bringing us back to the initial point, that the reason we are doing this is because of Jesus. It would be a mistake to take this application and to look at our own lives and not see the fruit um, that we would like to see and to despair it would also be a mistake to look at the unpredictability of life and our own anxiety and to conclude that God must not care because things are hard. The cross is the starting point where we start, and the cross is the finishing point where we start. Finishing point where we end, that is. Because of the cross, we cannot conclude that God doesn't care because he sent his only son for us um, to not pull us out of this situation, but so that he could be in it with us to take it on himself. And because of the cross, we see that this is a God who is on the move, who is on the move for the weak and for the helpless. Um, this is what he is like, and this is what he has invited us into, but it is his power in order to combat this weakness. It is not our own. So with this, as we sign off and conclude this letter, it's been really a wonderful time here that we've had to sit with Paul, to sit with the Philippian church and learn these words but to continually encourage each other to return again and again and again to the foot of the cross together, to never tire of that, of going to our Savior, of depending on Him for strength, asking Him to lift up our head, and who knows what He is able to do and will do through us. Let's pray together.
Father, send your spirit to us. Do a work through us. Bring us back to the cross. Bring us back to renew our sense of grace in Jesus. Renew our joy. And through those things, renew our generosity. Help give us opportunities to partner with you in joy and not an obligation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.